Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. With anti-Asian hate crimes at record numbers, this season of The Margaret Cho, we're examining the historical crimes that laid the groundwork for this recent onslaught of violence. I talk with Asian comedians, authors, journalists, podcasters, as well as the organizations and people working to stop Asian hate. Welcome to the Margaret Cho Mortal Minority. Today, we're talking about the recent stabbing of two elderly Asian American women in San Francisco. Also, our historic event is the life and controversial death of Dr. Hang S. Noor, a survivor of the Khmer Rouge and the first and only actor to win an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. My guest today is comedian and actor and writer and just all-around great, great, great person, Irene Tu. Thank you, Irene, for doing my podcast. Thank you for having me again, Margaret. I'm excited. How are you feeling with everything happening? Happy AAPI Heritage Month, and how's I it know, going? I it's, know. It's such a tongue twister, number one. I wish we had a shorter acronym for our Heritage Month, but um, it feels good. <laughs> good um yeah, yeah uh, I'm just scared because everything's opening back up and I don't remember yeah. how to be a person in society I know it's weird have you done comedy yet I mean out in a show mm-hmm. I've been doing outdoor shows for a while now okay. mm-hmm. um and then I just started doing some of the indoor shows because I got vaccinated oh good good yeah and you know they're like all spread out yeah yeah everybody I mean I've done outdoor shows I think it's really fun, the outdoor shows. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done an indoor show, although I have been vaccinated. So it, it's weird because it was like a learning curve to try to remember how to do comedy in the first place. Oh, yeah. My first set back when I did an outdoor show, I just completely forgot how one of my jokes went that I've been doing forever. Just no idea. I have no idea of so many things, and I'm super confused about so many jokes. But at the same time, it's like, Okay, it's good because now I can uh, rethink some jokes and like start afresh. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that opportunity of a reset, but I also agree it's hard to go back into real society. 
Yeah, and uh, now I don't know if I'm supposed to hug people again. You know, people like come in and I'm like, wait, don't touch me. Oh, I guess it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't really like touching anyway, I think. Yeah, I mean, me neither. But I'm like, oh, I guess I sh- we should go back to the handshaking and the hugging. I don't know. Well, I hate handshaking. I'd much rather hug. That's so funny. I would rather fist bump, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, it's like I did appreciate the dis- the physical distance of people. That was kind of cool. And I don't mind... Um, this sort of like social distancing and being at home. Like I'm kind of like very learned to be okay with that. With, with the exception of not doing stand up, everything else was kind of, it's kind of good. Yeah. I mean, as an introvert, it's, it's kind of nice. You know, yeah. I don't feel like pressured to go to a party or network or, you know, any of that. I'm just like, Oh, I'm just, I'm home. And you know, if I have to go do a show outside, I'll do that. And then I just chill. Like no yeah. one has to bother me. Yeah, which I, I definitely like. I mean, I think that comedians, actually most of us are introverts. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. You know, it's um always hard work if you're like out on the road to like get a comic to go do something with you. <laughs> yeah. I know sometimes I'll go on the road with like headliners and then you feel like you're supposed to, you know, like hang out with them the whole time and yeah. you both realize, oh, we neither of us really want to. You know, you want to hang out in the green room and then kind of do your own thing during the day. Yeah, I can't, I get like, I mean, I go out on the road usually with people I really like. Mm -hmm. So it can be super fun, but it's also draining. I think that like also doing comedy itself is like a draining thing so that you want to reserve your energy for shows. Like I don't feel like I can do anything before I go on, you know, even if I have like a whole long day before a show, I don't feel like I can like a Saturday, Friday, we're usually traveling, right. Thursday, you're traveling, and then you do the show, and then it's like kind of like you get all this like energy saved to go on stage, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've done shows like on Saturdays where like I'll hang out with people during the day, and I'll do the show, and I just feel terrible doing the show because I've kind of wasted hard. all that energy during the day. Yeah, it takes a lot, so people don't understand how hard. They don't, they don't get us. <laughs> like, we're brave. What do you do? Like, I usually um, kind of half watch TV. I watch TV and, like, listen to a podcast and uh, look at Pinterest at the same time. <laughs> you mean, like, during the day or before bed? During the day. Not before bed. Usually I try to put all the devices away around 9 o'clock. Oh, that's really good. I'm so, really bad at that. I'm the one hard. who's, like, I'm the one who's, like, on my laptop. The TV's on in the hotel room. My phone's next to me till like two in the morning. Yeah. The only device that I try to look at is my paperwhite Kindle. Oh, okay. That doesn't even really count. There's no light emerges from it. Yeah. And it's a book. It's a book and it's it's usually like a really boring book. So I'm like falling asleep. That's why I try to read something like holistic medicine for pets (laughs) (laughs) before I go to bed. Just imagine you're staying up till five in the morning reading holistic medicine for pets. You know, it's really, it's, it's, you know, it's really intense. Like, cause I, I was like trying to like feed my pets raw. Uh-huh. I was going to be like so lesbian about my whole like <laughs> life. And then I was going to pe- feed my pets raw. And then there was, you know, practice holistic medicine and all the shit. So, but those, what the, what I learned about doing that was that those books will make me go right to sleep. 
Chinese medicine for dogs. I'll go right to sleep. I didn't even know that was a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> it's like, and that, you know, if you get that book, then it's like the other books that you might like. Vegan chef. <laughs> other books you might like. It's all books about like dogs in the army and um, how to feed your cats raw. Dogs in the army? Yeah, there's like a lot of like military dog books out there. There's a whole bunch. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, those books will put me right to sleep. That's so funny. But that's what I do. <laughs> I bet Gwyneth Paltrow has like a, a remedy for you. Maybe like a sleep, a sleeping remedy. I can't look at my phone when I go to sleep because I'll just stay mm. up all night. Yeah, I know. I I meant more like a like a like a holistic thing for your dog. I bet she oh. has something. <laughs> I bet she has some kind of like $400 jade roller uh-huh. for my cat. <laughs> like face. roll your cat. <laughs> so I could roll roll my cat or roll my dog or um, a, a gusha like jade um, implement so I could scrape the, the cat uh, butt on it. Like can my <laughs> cats get shit all over their butthole. Like they're just so cute, but they just really get shit everywhere. Oh, no. When they eat raw, they just get shit everywhere. I mean, I love them, but it's very, it's messy. I don't think I've, I don't think I knew you had cats. I have two new cats in oh, the pandemic. New. They're fairly new. I got them in February, early part of February. And I really love having cats. I didn't realize how much I would love it. That is so gay of you, Margaret. It's like so lesbian, but now it's like yeah. they're going to be holistic. Yeah. <laughs> And, and we're going to practice Chinese medicine. But yeah, AAP, I, I want to I say AARP. I know. It's, <laughs> it's just like a bad collection of letters in a row. AAPI, AARP. Um, so in this podcast, what we're doing is we are taking a modern subject of an Asian, an Asian American crime. There's so many every single day. It's a nightmare. Uh, which is one of the reasons I can't look at my phone because I... Every day there's something else. Oh, yeah. I can't check um, the news anymore. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And then we will juxtapose it with a, a historical crime uh, against an Asian and an Asian American. So the, the modern one we're going to talk about today is this is this happened on Market Street in San Francisco where I met you. I met you in the Lower Haight. That's true. Yes. At, but we did at, meet in San at, Francisco. We met in San Francisco. And um, so this happened on Market Street, which to me is like so horrible. Okay, so this is from The Guardian, uh, where two women are in the hospital after they were stabbed at a bus stop in San Francisco in the latest attacks against Asian Americans nationwide since the start of the pandemic. The women, one sixty-three and the second, 84, Chui Fong Eng, were waiting for the bus on San Francisco's Market Street early Tuesday evening when a man stabbed them each multiple times. A woman working at the flower stall nearby who witnessed the attack told Associated Press that she saw the man walk away like nothing happened. The police said the 63-year-old victim sustained non-life-threatening injuries while the 84-year-old woman was literally being treated for life-threatening injuries, but her medical status had been downgraded to non-life-threatening. The grandson of the 84-year-old woman told a local news station that his grandmother was independent, very headstrong, if she has to do something, she's going to. And the family was told the knife nicked her lungs and ribcage. But I saw, did you see the x-ray of no. her uh, lung? Cause she got her puncture, her lung was punctured. Oh my God. And no, you I didn't see, see the knife 
Like, it's so far deep in her ribcage, in through her lung. It's really a nightmarish x-ray. So horrifying. So this is from NPR. The SFPD arrested 54-year-old Patrick Thompson around 7 p.m., two hours after he allegedly stabbed the two women. Police say he faces two counts of attempted murder and two counts of elder abuse. Investigators have not yet ruled the attack a hate crime. Oh my god, that's insane! Why is it? A, why is it a question that it's? I mean, if you're attacking two Asian women, it's like a, you know, it's that's not random. It's not random, and it, it's crazy. So, um, on the GoFundMe, the granddaughter Victoria Ang said her grandmother is recovering well after surgery. These Asian hate crimes need to stop. She wrote, "San Francisco is my home and my grandma's home. We need to feel safe where we live." Not in constant fear. So the SFist says that Patrick Thompson has a long history of both mental illness and violence. And uh, he was successfully completing the city's mental health diversion program and was living on his own. But before that, he had been arrested for a 2017 stabbing with scissors. Oh, my God. Send, uh, and sent to a mental health facility in Napa because he was unfit for trial. So he appeared in court for arraignment Monday and uh, remain silent. I mean, it's... But the, the whole thing is like... The way that they're framing that, it's like, okay, yes, he's mentally, mentally ill. You would mm-hmm. have to be mentally ill to attack anybody. But this is clearly a hate crime. Oh, yeah. That, that to me is so crazy. It's such a hate crime. And, um, you know, it's because it is like exactly who we're talking about when we talk about these crimes. It's older Asian mm-hmm. women. Yes. I mean, that's been the trend. It's just older Asian women and some men. Um, yes. yes. Yeah, I don't know how they could be like, ooh, maybe it's not a hate crime. That's the weirdness to me. Like, why do we have to fight for the right to be hated? Yes. You know, like, that's that seems to be, like, what we're fighting for, in a mm-hmm. sense, is the right to be seen as somebody who is a victim of racism. We have to fight for that still. Right. Well, it's because, you know, some people will lump us with, like, white people. Or, you know, they never know what race we really are. Even though we're Asian, it's like they don't know if to lump us in with, like, people of color or, like, with white people, you know? Yeah, it's a a continual structural problem in the Mm -hmm. way that we view Asian-ness and race and Americanness and, um, you know, this... uh, this crime really upset me because it's also San Francisco, which and so many instances have happened in San Francisco and Oakland in the Bay Area, which, which is I like mean, so many of, Asian people. There's so many Asian people. That's crazy. Like it's just happening in broad daylight with all of these Asian people. And then I'm like, what bus were they waiting for? So if it's Market Street, I know. Also, Market Street's like pretty busy. Market Street's very busy. So. You know, there's a lot of people. I mean, it sort of depends on where you are on Market Street. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there. you know, there's like kind of one area. It's like a lot of tourists. So that's around Powell. Mm-hmm. And then you go up and then it gets kind of like the, the Tenderloin area. Right. Um, and then it gets into the Castro. Right. So I couldn't, I couldn't visualize exactly where it was. But, you know, yes. in all those set, sort of areas, there's a lot of people. I know that's the other thing. It's just like, oh, we're all like, hey, like stop Asian hate. But how are these crimes still happening? Aren't there people around? Yeah. I mean, it's to me, I think it's like 
I, 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 I don't understand why uh, you wouldn't immediately jump up to, you know, physically defend an old Asian, like an old Asian lady getting stabbed. It's like, so two of them. Yeah. It's so sad because it's like, what did they do? They're just trying to take a walk and get some groceries. Like, why are you attacking them? I know. It's really, I mean, and you know, it just doesn't seem to get any better. And this is one of the reasons, yeah, I can't look at my phone, especially at night, because I will go on Instagram and I'll go to like um, Dion Lim, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the, she's a journalist in San Francisco who's reporting a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And Stefan, who's in um, New York, is also a journalist, is reporting a lot of the stuff and kind of giving it a real signal boost. Right. But it has all of the coverage. And uh, I mean, I'm really glad for them because they're really kind of putting this problem out there and um, getting it's getting a lot of pickup from news sources, other news sources. But it doesn't seem to be alleviating the situation. It just seems to be getting worse. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like we're all doing like a public awareness campaign and yet nothing has happened, you know? Mm-hmm. I think they're like past, they're trying to pass a law or they might have passed a law um, to make it, you know, the hate crimes. But it just seems like nobody's really doing anything. They're just like, oh, but like stop yeah. doing it. But then nothing's being done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost as if the... Shame against Asians uh, or the shame against Asian racism is somehow not projected in the way that we have shame against people who are racist in general. Mm. You know, like there's something about shame. The shaming of Asian racism isn't particularly prevalent. You know, like it's a weird, it's a, it's kind of like, um, this one thing that I don't know, Tony Hinchcliffe. Oh, I was going to bring that up. I was going to be like, yeah, did you see the com- news? Yeah. I don't know who's comedy. I just know him. I was like, oh, somebody's opening for him. Like, I, or somebody's like working with him. Or, you know, he seems to be like a, mm-hmm. somebody that worked in the punchline. He's like a punchline comic or something. Or I know he's a, he was at the store a lot. I also don't know him personally. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know him. But I'm like, well, now there's sort of an uprising of people kind of putting uh, his name out there as somebody that's, you know, being Asian, Asian racist, being racist against Asians. But it's like, there's not not a sense of shame about it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of matter of fact, like, oh, he doesn't like Asian people. <laughs> or like, or I've read where people are like, yeah, he's always been racist. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's it? <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> But there's not like a sense of outrage when people are racist against Asians that there is for anybody else. And it's a weird, it's weird. It's like, why do we still bear the brunt of racism yet get none of the um, sort of social uh, situations that would shame people who are racist, that would exclude people who are racist? Because we, we have a, with a society that roundly... Mm-hmm really really shames racism right except when it comes to asians when it except for asians it's like well (laughs) it's like really weird it's it's really weird i mean i think they just don't think it's that bad or i think it's just because we're seen as like so successful in a way 
you know, that's like, oh, Asians are smart or Asians are doing well in some way. So when people are being racist to us, they're like, well, I mean, they're still doing fine. So who cares? You know? Yeah. Which is never, uh, I mean, it's like, where are we doing? I mean, I'm not really sure about that either. Right. I mean, I don't think that that's true, but I feel like that's what the sentiment is, you know? That's what the sentiment is, but it's like, where do they get that idea from? It's just, it's so, so infuriating, but, um, okay. So that, in the, uh, at the end of the show, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to give a shout out to, uh, these, uh, women who have a GoFundMe. They're uh, raising quite a lot of money, which is great. That's the one good thing, if anything is good, is that the community, the Asian American community and our allies have really come together around a lot of these, uh, crowdfunding, GoFundMe things, Mm -hmm. and really done a great job of having some sense of unity and really being behind um, these causes. So I'm I'm grateful for that. But we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about a really important person, I think, um, whose story is quite forgotten, um, but he's really amazing. We're going to talk about uh, the life and death of Dr. Hong S. Noor. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Okay, we're back. Now, this is a this like actually I was trying to think this really this story really kind of struck me because of um when Yoon Yo Jung won uh, the Oscar for best supporting actress in Minari. The only other time that I'd ever seen an a- Asian actor win an Academy Award was uh, Dr. Hong S. Noor for his uh, work in the movie The Killing Fields. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. So, yeah, they sent me the info, and I was like, oh, I have to watch this movie. I, I've never seen it. Well, it's on Tubi, which is the very best streaming service. <laughs> it's free. Tubi is my favorite <laughs> streaming service. Now, you may have to watch a Febreze ad or two, but let me tell you, it has the... It runs the gamut of like all the movies that you can't watch anywhere else. <laughs> it's like Tubi is like a, the kind of place where you would go watch like um, VH1 uh, kind of like sh- shock you uh, documentaries, shock documentaries from the 2010s about how actresses are too thin. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and like extreme dieting 
And then also, uh, you can watch um, really trashy movies that they would never have in any other streaming service. They have a movie called Snuff, which is, um, it was like this crazy, like, shock movie, shock gore slash gore movies, trashy. It's from, like, the 70s. And um, it's all about people who kill people and then put make a movie about it. It's it's not very good, but it's we it's it's one of the things you can watch on Tubi. But they also have really great movies, uh-huh. <laughs> like The Killing Fields. Okay, I have to watch. It's free, right? It's free. Yeah. Okay. But you have you will you will have to forfeit maybe about two minutes of Febreze ads. <laughs> okay. I mean, Tubi is free. It's free on your uh, any device and on your TV, but. You you cannot. There's no premium to be. There's no way to bypass the ads. And if you try to fast forward, they'll rewind, and you'll have to watch them again. Wow. So, okay. Uh, but it is the the number one <laughs> streaming service because I'm the kind of person that I would spend like hours in a blockbuster looking for the the movies that nobody's gonna watch. Uh huh. And and watch them. Uh, there's there's a lot of like Jean Claude Van Damme content mm-hmm. on Tubi. And um, just a lot of weird, stupid horror movies that, you you know, you, nobody ever remembers, but I love. So anyway, The Killing Fields is on there. Okay. It's not, it's actually a really great film. And um, so Hongus Noor won the Academy Award uh, in 1985 for portraying uh, Dit Pan, who was a real journalist in Cambodia. And it's so much of the history of... Cambodia and Khmer Rouge, it's just so terrible. And it still lives on, you know, and that there's like a terrible problem with landmines there mm-hmm. that still exist. You know, just the human, the human rights violations just go beyond anything that is just, it's just horrifying. And um, the movie is interesting because it could be seen as almost like one of those like white savior movies. Oh, yeah. You know, like Sam Waterston's going to go in and he's going to like save all of the, you know, people in Cambodia. But right. it actually, actually, uh, Dr. Hangus Noor's character, Dithpan, is more of the hero. And he's begging for the life of Sam Waterston. He's begging for the life of John Malkovich. So it's it's actually kind of a, an inverse of the the white savior sort of paradox in, in a war movies that we have about. Vietnam and Cambodia and um, back then. So it's it's an impressive film. And I actually knew Spalding Gray. Spalding Gray is in the film. Okay. He was uh, the very first celebrity to come see me do comedy. Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> Which is really cool. And this was like in the probably late 80s. So that was in San Francisco. And, and so I was like excited because he's in the movie. And um, he's somebody that is very interesting because he wrote a show, a one-man show about it called Swimming to Cambodia, which is all about his experience shooting there and and kind of what he went through. And um, he uh, passed away um, under some mysterious circumstances. And I think that people think that maybe he had committed suicide, but nobody's exactly sure he's disappeared. And um, I ended up doing a a show um, sort of uh, to benefit his foundation. But um, Dr. Hong Esnor also has a foundation, which after he won the Academy Award portraying this incredible story of survival in Cambodia, he he went on to kind of like 
become this very, very big star. So he um, was a medical doctor in the 70s, and uh, he was living in Phnom Penh with his girlfriend, and he he was like, you know, they were doing well. Like he was a, He was a successful gynecologist, and... He said he had a Mercedes, his girlfriend had a Mercedes, oh they gosh. both had drivers. Like, it was just like a very, like, classy, modern society. Mm-hmm. And when the Khmer Rouge took over, he really, he didn't feel threatened because he thought, oh, well, they're not going to do anything because I'm a doctor. You know, they need the doctor. Right, right. But um, what it ended up happening is they were killing anybody who had any kind of education, like anybody who was sort of in that that sort of upper class, anybody who was considered like educated, wealthy, like middle class and upper, they were just murdering everybody. And so he had to um, just not say he was doctor. That's so crazy. It's like so crazy to the point of like, He's in the operating room operating on somebody and they come in and they're like, where's the doctor? Because they're going to kill the doctor. Oh my God. And he's like, oh, he just, he went that way. Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, we don't know. He just went that way. Like you just, you just missed him. Stuff like that. Like that's like so horrible. And um, to, to like, uh, you know, be put into this prison camp and be tortured and, you know, be tortured under that sort of, like that line of, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? And um, he talks about being in uh, actual Chinese water torture, which I never understood what it was. Do you know what it is? No, I don't know what that is. It's um, it's an ancient torture method. I guess it's Chinese. I don't know. Um, Hang on, is, is half uh, Khmer, half Chinese. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm also Chinese too. I know yeah. you're Chinese. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm Chinese. But I don't know all our water torture methods, so... I know. <laughs> I'm Korean... But also Chinese. And I didn't know about the water torture. I, I didn't really understand what it was. Hang on, explains that. What they do is they put like um, wood, uh, like planks on the sides of your head. And then they put like um, nails in it so you can't move your face. So that if you move your face at all, you'll get like, pierced with the, oh my God. the nails. So, and then they hold your head still and they drop water onto your forehead. Um, and he said the first thousand drops are no problem. Like, it's like yeah. not a big deal. But then it's 1,001. He said that 1,001 drop put him in a coma. He's like, what? You just go, you just go crazy. I think because of the constant, like, the, the dropping of the water on your head, it just becomes so painful. And then you can't move your face. Mm. Because you're immobilized by the nails. Like it, the way right. he describes it is so horrifying. And for whatever reason, he survives this kind of torture for four years in this camp. Oh my God. And he manages to leave. Like um, the soldiers who are mostly like children, you know, Pol Pot, who was the leader of this terrible Holocaust, really kind of gave a lot of positions of power to very young kids who is giving guns to kids and sort of like forcing them to do all this torture and madness and um so finally uh dr hangasnor escapes he's able to escape he's not physically escape but he's able to be let go there's something he says like she manages to convince these young soldiers like you know you could kill me or you could let me go 
whatever it is, it's in your hands. And with that, they let him go. So he goes back to his wife. Uh, they were never actually married. Okay. His wife, Hui. They were never actually married, but he believes that they were spiritually married because you know they never had a ceremony, but they, they had so much duress. And she was pregnant um, with their child, and she was giving birth... And he was unable to give her a uh, cesarean section because he was unable to reveal that he was a doctor. Oh, my God. And so she ended up dying in his arms. Like, because he said that either she would die if I told, if I had helped her, we would all be dead. Not only if we, we be dead, they would have killed my family, her family, everybody that we knew. You know, so it was such a hugely terrible thing to be a doctor or be educated that he couldn't even save his wife so he was mortally wounded by oh my this terrible God. thing that he couldn't save his un his unborn child and his wife so it's a very traumatic thing you know and he he talks about this so after the film came out he did a lot of lecture tours and a lot of this information is coming from a film by author arthur dong a beautiful film called The Killing Fields of Dr. Hong S. Noor. It's kind of like uh, he would give his lecture, sir, he would go on a lecture tour after and go to speak to universities and uh, talk about his experience all the way from coming from this Holocaust, surviving it, and then coming to win the Academy Award, which is an incredible wow. story. And in Hollywood, too, where they, at that time, you know, think about 1985. Was like, What's interesting about 1985 is there was Pat Morita was also up for an Academy Award for the same award uh, for Karate Kid. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, so, oh, I'm surprised they didn't just get like a white actor to play his part in this movie. You would think. Well, the actor that gives um, Hang Esnur the he who presents it is actually Linda Hunt, who played Billy Tan in the movie previous, who won. For Year of Living Dangerously. So she was she was playing white man. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, I'm shocked he got an, an, I mean, an Oscar. I think because what you see in the film is such a beautifully um, true portrayal of the real pain of the situation because he could, it was a lived experience that was so true in his body uh, that you could really see it on the screen. Even in a very glitzy um, kind of very big budget, which is a big budget film. Mm -hmm. The Killing Fields was a huge movie. It was actually written uh, by Bruce Robinson, who uh, wrote and directed a movie that I um, really admire called With Nail and I, um, which is all about him getting... It, it, the story comes from him getting sexually harassed by Franco Zeffirelli on the set of Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, really, it's in a different situation. And I, I wrote something about the, the, the movie and the upcoming book about it. But it's so there's a lot of like really deep sort of like Hollywood roots in this movie. And for somebody like Hang Us Nord to come in and lend such realism to uh, such a Hollywood movie is really it's really tremendous. And it really speaks to how amazing he was and his life story was. So he ends up coming to America after this terrible experience, losing everybody. The only thing he brings with him is his locket with Hui, his wife's face, that he had uh, made in like a gold locket around his neck that he never took off. So 
When he comes to America, he, uh, he has like $50. He goes, you know, goes to Los Angeles and he gets a job in Chinatown helping refugees. He gets a call like from somebody who saw him at a wedding to audition for The Killing Fields. So he goes and um, in the documentary, the Arthur Dong's documentary, they show the audition, which is really beautiful. It's just him um, kind of improving a scene, mm-hmm. which I think is really hard to do. Have you ever done that? Like where they don't have a part and they have to improv? Not like to audition for a part and I had to improvise. I mean, I've, d- I've taken like improv classes, but it's not easy. Mm-mm. Especially if it's just you improvising yourself (laughs) it's hard it's really hard but what he does is really amazing and so you see like what he's going to bring to the film Mm -hmm. you know that he after six years of escaping this holocaust then he's on the red carpet at the academy that's so crazy such an incredible crazy story so he spends his time after winning the award going on talks he's still helping refugees to kind of like come into American life and helping them get jobs, people from Cambodia. It's all about helping his country kind of to come come and reacclimate and find their community in America, which I think is really remarkable. And he's telling his story. He's going on um, those 10 a.m. morning talk shows in San Francisco, like people are talking. Like it's not the news. It's like the show right after the news. That's oh. kind of usually it's like a locally syndicated show. I think in the in the eighties and nineties that the sort of t- started to turn over like these shows started to become like the view. It was before okay. it was pre-view. <laughs> Got it. So you there wasn't they hadn't really fully like realized that the entire country would be watching something. So it was uh-huh. all like sort of local talk shows and so he goes on the People are talking in San Francisco and he, you know, he's telling his story and um, the way the, the Killing Fields of Dr. Hongis Noor documentary goes, it's um, basically him. It, it, it looks like what it, I gained from it was that it was his lecture that he would give when he was going to these universities and going to these talk shows in different places, but also um, put to animation, put to archival uh, footage, put to clips from him from the movie. It's a really, really beautifully done movie, but... Um, so, you know, he's telling his story to people and, you know, he's he's doing well. He does a guest star on uh, Miami Vice. Oh. <laughs> he just he has like quite like a, an acting resume that's growing. And um, he has a gold Mercedes. Oh, my God. He still lives in a small apartment in Chinatown. And, you know, he, he had escaped Cambodia with his um, wife is dead. Most of his family's dead. They're not sure. Mm-hmm. And um, he escapes with his niece and sort of adopts her. His niece is Sophia. They live together in Chinatown. So on. Um, let, let's get to the crime. So this is like the crazy, the crazy thing of like, what an incredible life to survive so much. Mm-hmm. And so this is what happened. This is like really terrible. On February 25th, 1996... He's coming home from a dinner that he was with with uh, Jack Ong, who was an actor, an activist, really, really sort of like very big Asian-American, like Hollywood person mm-hmm. in the 80s. And he's coming home and um, he gets into his parking garage and he's gunned down. And it's like, what? So it's so crazy. So Hangasnor is like murdered. He's just dead. 
in the parking garage. And they go in his car and they look and there's $3,000 in the back seat. And it's like a gold Mercedes. And they're like, what happened? Like, and they're, everybody's kind of thinking, this is Pol Pot. I mean, Pol Pot was angry because Hong S. Noor is like telling all of the world mm. about all of the terrible inhumanities that were brought about, you know, by this regime mm-hmm. and winning awards for it. So, you know, everybody's like, they think it's Pol Pot. The Cambodian community is convinced it is Pol Pot. You know, nobody can figure out what it is. And so they start to look around and they're looking at the evidence like, well, there's all this cash left behind and the gold Mercedes not touched. But then um, his Rolex is missing. He had a $6,000 Rolex that he always wore. It's a gold Rolex. That's missing. And his locket with Hoy's picture is missing. And he never took that off. Okay. Wow. So... They start thinking, was this a robbery? And then there was a lot of uh, graffiti around the neighborhood where this happened. And they were looking and it was all O-L-B, which means Oriental Lazy Boys, which is a gang. I'm like, what? I'm like, really? (laughs) That's a gang? I don't, I've never ever... Oh, there's a lot of reasons why I think that's just not real, but I, it's a real gang. It's an Oriental Lazy Boys. What? And I'm like, I've never encountered a lazy Asian. <laughs> Have you? Do you know any lazy Asians? Uh, I don't know any. I mean, I guess I know a few, but I don't, they would never be in a gang. No. You know what I mean? Like, And they would never say they're Oriental. No, they would never. Oriental Lazy Boy, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, after everybody sort of like, like kind of exhausted the idea of this being a Pol Pot thing. So these three guys were arrested. They, uh, were, I mean, it's just like, you know, they were gang members of the Oriental Lazy Boys, which to me is like, it seems weird. It doesn't sound real. It sounds so fake to me. And I'm, I mean, I think that you can't really like. I, I hate that conspiracy theory is really, it's now it's a bad word. Right. To be conspiracy theory now, I mean, it used to be honorable. Mm-hmm. You could be a conspiracy theorist and you'd be cool. Like you could believe in that kind of stuff. But now QAnon has ruined it for everybody. Right. It used to be back in the day, like, oh, I think the government might have tried to kill MLK. And now it's like crazy stuff. Yeah. Now it's they're eating babies in the pizza Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now it makes no sense and they've ruined everything. So they arrested uh, three guys who um, they never found the locket. Okay. They, they could never figure out why the uh, cash wasn't taken. They, the Mercedes was untouched. They could never, fa- I mean, it's like, so one of them it was sentenced to life without parole. The other two were sentenced to like 50 plus years. Okay. And they they've still appealed alive? their cases. They're still alive. They're all still in prison. They've appealed their cases. So in the, in the interview for Vice First Documentary, um, Arthur Dong commented that those charged with Noor's murder, well, there were three trials. Each one of the defendants had a trial and there were convictions. They went through the appeals and they were denied. So it's crazy because at the tribunal for the Khmer Rouge, which happened 
in 2009, which finally the uh, architects, with the exception of Pol Pot, who had already died, the architects and the, the sort of like ruling party behind all of this massacre were finally like brought to justice by Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys on trial, his name was Duke, said that Pol Pot had Dr. Hangesnor killed. Oh. And they couldn't figure out like, well, why would he say, like he had no reason to say that. Nobody accused him of that. Uh-huh. You know, this is in 2009. And the murder of Hangesnor had happened in 1996. So why would he even bring that up? Mm-hmm. You know, this has no bearing on his sentence, but he's saying like, well, Pol Pot did it and still nobody could prove it or disprove it. And, and you know, these guys, three guys are still in prison. So so Arthur Dong goes, goes on to say that uh, no one forced Duke to say what he did. No one even asked him. He was just describing the tactics Pol Pot used to get rid of his enemies. And he just included this comment about Hang Noor. Because um, he was talking about Pol Pot as if Pol Pot was Stalin getting rid of Trotsky. Oh. So we don't know. We don't know. It's still a mystery. But, you know, I wanted to do this episode because I wanted to talk about the great achievements of Dr. Hang Noor. And, you know, he's part of Asian American Hollywood. And we don't get to celebrate him. I was like, I've never heard of this guy. And this is this is crazy. I have to watch the movie yeah. now. It, you can watch it on Tubi. I'm so excited <laughs> to watch it on Tubi. <laughs> this podcast is now sponsored by Tubi. This sponsor and Febreze. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to watch a couple of, don't try to, don't try to fast forward or they'll start it again. Um, but that, that, that is the story of Dr. Hong Snor. And uh, thank you so much, Irene. Where can people find you on the internets? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Irene underscore two. That's T-U. It's my last name. Or just go to my website. Google me. I don't know. You'll find me. Pretty easy. You're so awesome. And I'm so glad that we got to share this time. Um, let's get out there. We'll stay alive. Yeah. Thank you so much Happy for having me. AAPI. Thank you for coming. Of course. Happy AARP. A-A-R-P-I. <laughs> it's great because we have a double header because it's like A-A-P-I and then it's pride. Yes, I know. That's I love it. And my birthday is uh, in April. So Uh-oh. I get three months oh, in a hello. row. Excuse me. Hello, a- Aries. Yes. Hello, Aries. Fiery. Come through, Aries. Come through, A-A-P-I. Pride. Celebration time for Irene, too. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Today, we're highlighting the GoFundMe page for Chui Fong Eng. It's organized by her grandchildren, and we will link to it in our show notes. If you want to support our show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and spread the word. Reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts, at Margaret Cho, or at Instagram, at Margaret underscore Cho. The Margaret Show is produced by the Erios Network. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.